Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, um, I wanted to open a conversation uh, concerning faith. Faith is a revelation. Faith is a mystery. Faith is a spirit. You see, the spirit of faith. Bible says, and this is the spirit of faith. For as we believed, so have we what? Spoken. You see, faith is a mystery. It is something once revealed to you will change your life forever. We are all saved by grace through faith. You see, so faith is the life of every believer. But not all people know how to appropriate the mystery of faith in their lives. Of course, we have questions, many questions, many, many questions. Why did this person die? Why did this person lose the job? Why did this person fail the exam? Yet she read a lot. Why did this man fail in his marriage? Yet he was a good man. Why was she taken to prison? A very prayerful woman. Because sometimes we look at the character, the moral standing, and the vindications or justifications of men in the world to assume that that is the reason why somebody should have a miracle or not have a miracle. You see that? Now, Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, the 15th verse, if you'll open with me, Ecclesiastes, the seventh chapter, the 15th verse, uh, this is what this man says. He says, All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. All things have I seen in the days of my vanity. He says, There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. There is a just man that perisheth in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. Now, I love that the last line I say, there is a wicked man which is prolonged in his life, in his wickedness, but rather it says there is a wicked man that prolongeth his life. There is a wicked man that prolongeth his life in his wickedness. In other words, the man is wicked, but he knows how to prolong his life. And there's a righteous man who dies or perishes in his righteousness because he does not know how to prolong his life. He does not know how to save himself from sickness. He does not know how to save himself from turmoil. He does not know how to divert all the winds of aggression, of calamity, and destruction. He does not know how to walk out of danger. But he is a Bible-believing person. He's a praying person. She's a loving woman. Oh, everybody loved her church. She loved the children. She gave them candy every Sunday. 
you know, she was a faithful woman. She was always on time in church. You know, he was a good guy. He always sat in the back, said nothing wrong about anybody. He loved everyone. But you know, this is the guy who got the accident. And then some people built some, you know, silly revelations around the man's death. And they saw, you know, even God loves the good ones. And so God has taken him. <laughs> God has taken him. So if he loved him so much because he was good, he should have even refused him to be burst. Isn't it? He says, you know, I love this guy Enoch so much. I'm not even going to allow him to get into a woman's womb. You stay with me here because I love you so much. You see? The destiny of man is in print. It is clear. The purposes of God are clear. When he says, with long life, I will satisfy you. He means it. Somebody shout, amen. amen. I will satisfy you with long life. Psalms 91. He wants you to die satisfied of living. Somebody shout, hallelujah. Oh, do not think that he did not know the sicknesses that are going to be in the world or that some of those sicknesses cannot enter your body. They could enter. But he still says, with long life, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. Somebody shout amen. amen. He says that you will come to your grave full of age, like a stock of wheat in its season. Full of age. Full of age. Somebody shout hallelujah. He says, I shall bring you to the health and cure. Because it's the only way I can reveal to you my peace and truth. That's truth. Somebody shout hallelujah. He calls it the abundance of peace and truth. Why? Because he wants to show you that the only way I can give you peace or reveal my peace to you, the only way I can reveal my truth to you is to bring you to health and cure. Jehovah says, I'll cure them. Jeremiah 33 verse 6. I will cure them. So, that is the revelation of God's abundant peace and truth. So, Christians are saying, but this woman, there was a, a fraud at the office where she works. And there was a group of three or four guys who did that. There were four people which were involved in a fraud and unfortunately, this woman, which is born again, which was a good believer, she was a hard worker, she refused to be bribed into the deal. And when somehow it fell that a crime had been committed, somehow all hands and fingers pointed on her. And then they summoned her, and then she lost her word, her job. This woman was faithful, Lord. Or perhaps she's also asking God, but in all the things that I've done in this life, why are they accusing me? Why am I the one which has what? Is being accused of this false thing. God vindicate me. God vindicate me. God vindicate me. But God has said, has it ever occurred to you that perhaps there's a wicked man who knows how to prolong himself at that job? There's a wicked woman who knows how to prolong herself. Of course, we know that the end of every wicked person is destruction. Okay? We know the end of every wicked man is destruction. But there is more destruction if they know how to prolong their days. <laughs> you see? So by the time they die, they have actually destroyed many. Somebody shout hallelujah. So that's why he speaks and says that there is a just man which perishes in his righteousness... And there is a wicked man which knows how to prolong his life. 
He knows how to prolong his life. And this is the mystery. That we need to understand how faith works. Because there are wicked people who know how to appropriate faith. And there are righteous men who don't know how to live in the pattern of faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. There is a wicked man who knows how to believe for the sustenance of his life. And there is a righteous man who does not know how to keep himself in the way of life. Because when it comes to the mystery of faith, the pattern and principle is different. It is different. It is different. Somebody said one time to me, I don't cheat in the taxes. I pay all my taxes, but my business is dying. And all my friends who are cheating in the taxation, their businesses are what? Are thriving. No, the better, if you are not cheating, you should be the one on top. Because God wants to set you as an example. Somebody shout hallelujah. To them that cheat their taxes to show, when God tells you give to Caesar, give to Caesar. It doesn't mean he doesn't know that Caesar will sometimes demand more than Caesar needs. But give to Caesar what belongeth to Caesar and give to God what belongeth to God. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, the mystery, the secret is in how we relate. It's in how we connect to this mystery of faith. Let me take you on a journey. If you open the book of Galatians, you will understand that this is Paul's problem. This is Paul's challenge. You see Paul introducing himself in the book of Galatians as an apostle, not of men, not set by men, but raised by God and Jesus Christ himself. Why is he introducing himself as an apostle, not by men, not built by men, not established by men? Who has said that his apostleship is of men? Who has said that his apostleship is of men? Nobody has said that. But Paul is getting somewhere. Paul is getting somewhere. And then when we are in the first chapters, we start hearing him come up with a very tough conversation. He sounds angry in the first chapter of Galatians. I marvel at you. He's telling the Galatians that you are soon removed from the Jesus Christ that called you into this grace. I marvel that you are soon removed. He's dealing with people. He's angry. But there's something that touches where he's coming from. That is why he has begun by his apostleship. Not of men, but of God. And he says, if any man preach any gospel that was not preached to you, he says, let that man be cursed. That's a very strong language. And he repeats that even if it's an angel from heaven or any other person preaches the gospel against that which we have preached to you, let that man be a cursed. Let that man be a cursed. This is Paul speaking. And as he continues through, he says, for I certify you Brethren, he has repeated it again, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. I didn't bring you some man's idea. I brought to you the revelation of Jesus Christ. He is emphasizing this over and over again. And verses 12 says, neither did I receive it of man. I didn't receive this gospel from a man. I received it from God. And he tells him, you've heard of my past conversations. How I thrived in the way of the Jewish religion, Judaism. 
and how beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and I wasted it. And I excelled beyond my equals, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. And I persecuted the church. I wasted it. I was there. I did this. I got the t-shirt. And it continues in verses 20. He emphasizes still. Now the things that I speak to you or write to you, behold, before God, I'm not lying. I'm telling the truth. Who said Paul is lying? You see, who said Paul is lying? Nobody said Paul is lying. But something is happening and he's dealing with the church in Galatia to help them align themselves. So he goes back into his story. When we go through the second chapter, we see how in 14 years he went into Jerusalem with Barnabas and then how he communicated by revelation uh, the mysteries of God, but firstly to them of reputation, at least he should run his race in vain. And then he speaks about his consecration in Arabia and now he comes back into what? Damascus, three years after that, he goes to Jerusalem to speak to James and Peter about the revelation that has come to him and to no other apostles spake he except those people. And when you see Paul trying to take these people back to the foundation of things, it seems they did not understand the foundation of their faith. You see, when we were growing up, if you messed up, if you did something wrong, I'll give an example my father. And he calls and says, this is wrong, lie down. He gives you two or three cans. Never do it again. That's done. But if you did something wrong, and my father begins a story. Some of you have reference. Begins a story from his birth, you know you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, some of us, when you messed up, your father begins a conversation from, you know, many years ago, when I used to carry my talk on a bicycle, then you know something is wrong. Why is it that I've messed up here, but they are taking me back to my foundations? I've always told people, I used to get so disturbed about my father repeating stories. My father repeats stories until you can repeat them verbatim. And as though you think he's done, one day he starts again. Now you see, and oh God, I already know where it's going. And I used to get tired until one day God came to me and told me, if you had understood it, I would not have led him to repeat it. If you had understood it, I would not have led him to repeat it. The only way or reason why he is repeating it is because there's something in there you didn't understand. So every time my father repeats a story, I know. By grace, I try so much to hear and ask God, what did I miss? Because parents just never repeat themselves. And so it is alike with the spiritual. Because remember, when the Bible calls God the Father, from whom all fatherhood derives its name, whether spiritual or physical, if your biological father, your mother, if your spiritual father repeats himself on a matter to you, or is ask, what didn't I understand? Because sometimes God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, he will want to repeat things over to you, because it's a space that he does not want you to lose as you grow in the things of the Spirit. There are places that have to be consecrated and cemented very clearly. Somebody shout hallelujah. Paul is taking the Galatians back. He is certifying his apostleship. And the fact that the words he's teaching the church in Galatia are not just his idea. So he's marveled that they actually went off the teaching of Jesus Christ. He's assuming maybe you thought I was just speaking to you as a man. I was not speaking to you as a man. Because it is possible for God to speak through an anointed vessel and you hear that vessel speak as a man. Remember, let us study Paul as a specimen. 
Paul says very clearly that he was a man of weak speech. And we cannot ascertain exactly what weak speech meant. Was he stuttering? Was that weak speech? Was it weak speech because he did not know how to articulate and speak to men the way he should speak to them to take the gospel serious? Was he a joking fellow that every time he was speaking, perhaps he was adding a lot of jokes in the revelation, that some people would get so lost in the joke that they would miss the mystery? What was that that did not give him a distinctive speech? He says, my speech was contemptible and my bodily presence was weak. Maybe he didn't look like the apostle that some people expect. Maybe he did not look like the bishop that some people expect. Maybe he was not dressed in the attire that commanded that kind of respect. But he says, but my letters were bold and weighty. Why? Because that's where my strength was. Maybe when he spoke in front of the people in Galatia, there's an expectation of how the man which carries the word of God should have appeared or should have spoken Or there was a preconceived idea of how God should speak. Thus saith the Lord. You shall not go down that road on Tuesday. And so somebody says, ah, this is God speaking. Because some people think God speaks in a deep voice. You know, one time I was reading a small book and a woman said, you know, some people speak with a glorious voice. And a glorious voice is a deep voice. I said, my God. I bet you Jesus didn't have a deep voice. I am sure. (laughs) Praise God. Why? Because the Bible says there was no beauty to behold with him. There was no beauty to behold with him. There was nothing about Jesus that would make you glance at him the second time. You see? He was of comely form. That means he was a normal face. Somebody shout hallelujah. But God found it pleasing to put his fullness in that body. Somebody shout hallelujah. It takes so much wisdom and maturity to know when God is speaking to you through an anointed vessel. Because there are people who are going on mountains to seek for what God spoke to them on a Sunday morning under a certain sermonettes. And they left it that way because it did not quite appear to them the experience of God speaking. So we don't know for a fact why Paul is being disregarded, but his words have been disregarded, and we see him asserting his apostleship, not appointed by men, but appointed by God. So he's going back into the facts, as though these Galatians did not know those facts. And so he speaks of how he goes privately uh, to them of reputation, lest he had run his race in vain. And then in the verses below there, certain men crept in unawares, and they spied on our liberty that they might take us back into bondage. And he says, of whom we gave no subjection, not for an hour, for the truth of the gospel to continue with Christ. Because if we had subjected ourselves to the spies, you know that the people would come in the meaning of Paul, and by reason of their position in society, they would want to look at Paul a certain way. So Paul changes the gospel to suit their comfort. But he refused it. Somebody shout hallelujah. And then as he continues again, certifies his apostleship, he says, for when James, Peter, and John, which seemed to be the pillars, saw the grace that was given unto me and Barnabas, the uncircumcised, as it was given to them to the circumcised, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go and preach to the uncircumcised as they to the circumcised. I'm trying to tell you, Paul is saying, that I am not 
preaching this thing out of my own head. This is the message of Jesus Christ. He's marveled that they're soon removed from the God who called them. He continues further to establish this message by the rebuke of Peter. As Peter is sitting in Antioch with the Gentiles they're eating. And when certain Jews sent by James, I believe, when they come to see Peter, the Bible says Peter distances himself from the Gentiles and refuses to eat with them. Follow me, follow me. He refuses to eat with them. And Paul withstood him and rebuked him openly. He's telling him, we're trying to preach the gospel to these guys. And when you are not showing that unity with them, so how do you expect them to embrace the Jewish culture when you cannot relate with their own culture? Now, Paul is mad because Peter has acted hypocritical. And he's telling the Galatians, that you see, I even fought Peter, the guy that I preach with every day, because we saw that he had gone off the course. He was to be blamed. He's explaining all of this because in the whole end, verse 16, he's trying to emphasize that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even as we have believed in Jesus, that we might be justified by faith or the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. He says, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. And he says, for if I build the very things that I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. He's saying, we are all justified through faith, not of works. However, and I need to emphasize that, because our justification is by faith and not of works, Christ is not supposed to be the license for us to live a sinful life because we're justified through faith. That's a man who has not understood grace. So I need to emphasize that. The much as I'm preaching this, I need to emphasize this, that Christ is not a license to sin. Grace is not a license to sin. However, you are not justified by your works. That also is true. And we must swallow that as the double-edgedness of that sword. So as he continues to emphasize these things below, and it's deliberate that I take you through this. In verses 20, for I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, I, I live not, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me. Chapter 3. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? Now he's bringing the point. He began from his apostleship, from the history of his experiences, his personal conversions, the certification of the anointing on his life. And then he gets into a place of how he has understood this message and how he received it. And how he submits it to those of reputation. And how he even rebukes Peter for it. And now it comes to these Galatians in chapter 3. And he says, oh you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's asking because Paul is introducing to the church another place of witchcraft. This kind of witchcraft is not taught in the church of Jesus. They're talking about these guys who do black magic and juju. That's nothing. This one is high-end witchcraft. And if I have time one day, I'll preach a bit deeper to show this kind of witchcraft. You see? For the Bible says, for the sin of rebellion is as witchcraft. In other words, what Paul is talking about here is a certain sense of rebellion. And to God, it's a sort of witchcraft. And he says, this did not come from God. Somebody brought it in you. Somebody persuaded you into this. This kind of thing did not come from 
you know, nowhere. There was a spirit that sat on a man that came into the church to dissuade the church. Somebody shout hallelujah. Now, let's go back to the story. You foolish Galatians, follow Paul, who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth before whom Christ was preached and crucified among you. And then he says, verses 2, for this would I only want to learn. He's now he's asking you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? When you were first baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit, how did you do it? Did you fast for 20 days, separated yourself, gave everything, and then after everything was done, you received the Holy Spirit? Or you received the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith? Answer me. They received the Holy Spirit by the hearing of faith. And then he continues to say, Are you so foolish that you began in the Spirit and now you need to be made perfect in the flesh? That you think that the perfection of your flesh sort of defines your place in the spirit realm? He's saying, no, that's not how you define your place in the spirit realm. It's not in the perfection of the flesh. If it was so, then the most perfect in the flesh would be the most spiritual. But that is not true. Although he's now not saying that we should be irresponsible in the flesh. Because then we crucify Christ again. Because some people get that and then they become irresponsible in the flesh. Because it's not the bearing of their faith. And that is wrong. Again, that's a person who has not understood the grace of God. The death and resurrection of Christ. Why he shed his blood for your sins. Okay? That's for another day. Let's continue. Verses 5. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit. Listen. He therefore that ministereth to you the Spirit. And worketh miracles among you. Does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of the faith? So he's asking a fundamental question. If I am to do a miracle through you, do I do it because you have done everything right in the body or because you have hard faith? We're talking about the hearing of faith. If you read that from the Amplified Version, he would say, then he who supplies to you his marvelous spirit and works powerfully and miraculously among you, does he do it on the grounds of your doing what the Lord demands or because of you believing in and adhering and trusting in and relying on the message that you have heard. He's saying, I do not give you the anointing because you ate right last week and you did right last month. I give you the anointing to do miracles, signs, and wonders because you have had faith. The message of faith has come into you. You righteous one. If justification was enough without faith, he would tell us that the just will live on their justice. But because justification was not enough, he said the just shall live by faith. Even with your justification, you still need faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. Even with your justification, you still need what? Faith. But which comes before? Some people think that you can only have faith because you're just. And without that justification, you cannot have faith. And I'm saying no. A man can actually walk in faith without the consciousness of that justification. You see what I'm saying? Let me explain this. Justification is a nature that is given to us in Christ Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? There are people which are not born again. So they are not justified through Christ. But they believe and things happen. How does that happen? A man woke up and said, yes, we can. And he became president of the United States. You see? They say, I'm going to do it. And they'll do it. 
I'm going to make it. And they will what? They will make it. But they're not born again. So we're not talking about justification here. But they are walking in the realm of faith. And he's saying, so even the just man should live by faith. That means the moment you disconnect from faith, it doesn't matter how righteous you are, you will die. There is a wicked man that knows how to prolong his life by faith. Thank you. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he's telling them that this is how I have done this from day one. And then he brings the example of how Abraham believed on God and it was counted and to him for righteousness. And that is how he now goes in Galatians, the fifth chapter, and he's now bringing the point home. Stand ye therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. In other words, when you became born again, immediately you became free. Labor to stand in that liberty. You see, what do people teach when you become born again? Some people wrongly teach and say when you become born again, you still come with some generational curses. You still come with some generational demons. You still come with things from your past in your generational past. If any man be in Christ, the Bible says that that man is a new creature. Behold, all things are past, and now all things are new, and all things are of God. There is no generational curse there. All things are of God. But the devil will want to put this man in a place of making them fall because of their past. Otherwise, Paul would not have told a man to stand in the liberty wherewith he has been made free, except there is a certain devil trying to make this man fall from the liberty that Christ has given them. Is somebody following? These are things that are not preached. People are so conscious of generational curses and demons, but they are not conscious of the power of God unto salvation. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he tells them, stand therefore in that liberty. And he says, for I testify to every man. The Bible says, verses 3, that that man which is circumcised is a debtor to the law. Verse 4, Christ has become of no effect unto you. All of you who seek to be justified by the law, ye have fallen from grace. That's how a man falls from grace. A man doesn't fall from grace because he has sinned in the flesh. A man falls from grace because he has refused to be justified by grace, but he seeks to be justified through the law because of his circumcision. Praise God. Verse 6. For in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth much or uncircumcision but that faith which worketh by love. It worketh by love. The word there, love, is agape. The very love which is of God. Faith worketh by love. The very love which is of God. So what is he saying here? What is he emphasizing here? He's saying, if we are going to talk about faith, understand how much God loves you. It has nothing to do with what you have done. It has nothing to do with what you have not done. But it has everything to do for you, the believer. With the consciousness that you have towards God's love to you. Somebody shout hallelujah. In Galatians, the 6th chapter, the 15th verse, again he repeats it. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision availeth anything. He brings the new point here, but a new creature. So he's telling you that your justification in the place of this life is one, the faith that worketh in love, 
And the fact that you are a new creation, you are born of God. That which is born of God, the Bible says, it overcometh the world. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Somebody shout hallelujah. So, Paul is bringing a very fundamental thing here. Do you know how much God loves you? If you do, then you're going to walk and live in perfect faith. For he has said, in Christ Jesus, in Christ, not in your religious affiliation, in Christ, not in your church, which a certain man of God built, in Christ, not in the doctrines of your umbrella, in Christ, not in the traditions of your fathers, in Christ Jesus. He says, circumcision, oh, and circumcision don't avail anything. Whether you have circumcised or not circumcised, that is not the point before God. But he's saying, do you know how to connect to the faith that worketh with love? Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Do you know how to connect to the faith that worketh with love? If you are not conscious of that love, then you will never walk in faith. Let me give you an example. God loves me so much for me to fail. That's a consciousness. So I will prolong my life in success. Why? Because I am conscious of God's love for me not to fail. He loves me so much. Are you hearing me? He loves me so much. He loves me so much. The most obvious thing a parent would do in the danger of their child is to give themselves on behalf of their child. One time I was walking, I said this story once, and I'd gone to meet my father, he worked somewhere in town, and during that time we had uh, many riots, and uh, a group of youth come rioting through the city, and my father and I had called each other on phone, we were supposed to meet at a certain junction. So a group of youth come rioting on the city, and out of the blue, I am walking, and somehow that group of youth meet me. And I don't know what to do. I'm thinking they are going to pass. And then police arrive at that time, and they round up the whole place. And everyone starts to run. Now, because I didn't know anything, I didn't know what to do. I just found myself standing in one place. I couldn't run. Now, my father was walking towards me, and then he saw me. You see that? And so a man with a huge stick sees me, and he thinks that I'm among the what? The youth. And then he is going to hit me with that stick. And I remember my father a few meters away screaming and saying, that's my son. You see, he screamed. And I remember the next thing, I see my father running and then he's covering me. I don't know why he's doing it, but that's the parental instinct. He's covering me because I'm in danger. That's exactly what God should have done to Christ on the cross. That's exactly what God should have done to Christ on the cross. You see, when a child falls sick, a parent will automatically say, take my life, or can I take the place of my child? At that point, you're not conscious of your plans, your dreams, and visions. Because that's the love a parent has for their own child. But it says that a woman shall forget her own child, but I will never forget you. Are you hearing me? Can you imagine what God the Father felt when Jesus was at the cross? He's being beaten and crucified for sins that he has not committed. And the father is watching this. 
He's watching that this man is dying for the very people that carry that sin. And the father has to watch all of that pain. And to the end of that pain, he's trying to tell you, that's just how much I love you. How can I let cancer kill you? How can I let HIV kill you? How can I let you die in a car accident without fulfilling your purpose when I gave my own son? For the Bible says, for he that did not withhold his own son, will he not freely give you all things? Did I let Jesus die on the cross for you to die in a motorbike accident? Did I let Jesus to die on the cross for you to die a premature death? Did I let Jesus to die on the cross for you to sleep hungry and to lack? Did I let Jesus die on the cross for you to be disadvantaged at your job? What are the things that are freely given you in Christ? That is the thing that rises faith in you. To know that God loves me enough. He loves me more than enough. He loves me so unconditionally that even in my most fallen state, there is a man that is always willing to hold me up and tell me, you will make it. I still believe in you. I will see you through because I love you with the very love that I had for Jesus Christ. God does not just love. The Bible says he is love. Herein is our love made perfect. That we might have confidence on that day. For us he is Jesus. So are we in this world. When a man is perfected in the love of God. You are exactly like Jesus on the earth. Somebody shout hallelujah. You leave no function in the realm and anointing of the Christ on the earth. That is love made perfect. How much does God love you? I remember. I had a very big attack in my life a couple of years ago. And you know some funny newspapers built scandal and some ministers in the nation turned against me and it was a very painful thing for me and I remember separating myself and the ministry was greatly affected during that time some of the innocent people were destroyed with um, slander and gossip and I remember going to God so disappointed and hurt and broken because of the innocence that I had I never thought that believers do such things and we go to places where some believers used to pay media houses. And some of these people from media houses came to me telling me they have paid us money uh, to do this to you. Some of them felt convicted and came to apologize years later. And I remember when, when we were in disarray in that season, uh, I, the Lord comes and, and speaks to me something so powerful. He said that I built you by love and grace. No newspaper is going to break you. Because you were not built by a newspaper. I built you by love and grace. No minister is going to break you. Because no man built you. Rest. And I cannot tell you how much rest I had in the storm. And not only did I see it go, but as a ministry we came out bigger. When people reduced attendance, I bought more chairs. When people reduced attendance, we ordered four more chairs. And a couple of weeks later, all of those chairs were full. Until we had to buy more. I went through a storm because I was fully persuaded of how much God loves me. That's how I know that I can't fail. That's how I know that I can't die. 
That is why I know that I can't be cut short. Because I am conscious of the love of God that he has toward me. There are things that I cannot allow to happen to my own child. I would do everything in the world for my child. And God still tells me, but I actually love you more than you love your child. Somebody shout hallelujah. That is the foundation of your faith. That God loves you. Beyond the Bible tells you so. It has to become an experience that God loves you. Do you know he comes among the sick? And the Bible says he's moved by compassion. And when he's moved by compassion, the Bible says he heals all of them. Being moved by compassion, the Bible says he healed all their sick. So what is the power that propels the Christ to heal all the sick? Was it a show off because he was anointed by God? No. It was that compassion that brews in his heart. And out of that compassion, he finds that he has to heal the sick. If you don't understand that, you cannot walk in the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. I gave an example once. One day, I worked in hospice, a palliative care hospital. And so, I saw people dying of cancer. Poor dying of cancer, poor dying of cancer, poor dying of cancer. And I remember one time I looked at my case journal once. I used to write stories about all these individuals. And I found that every man that I'd written about had died. And so, I remember one day I just returned home and I sit under a tree at home. It was dark. And I wept and I said, God, these people have all died, and I saw it, I watched it, and I heard the voice say, I'm anointed you to heal. To heal. That was the time I saw my first cancer healing of stage four. God reversed stage four cancer out of a woman and put it back to zero until they could not trace a cancerous cell. I see now, I connect, that it was the revelation of the compassion. For we have not a high priest which is not touched with our infirmities. He is touched with everything that troubles you. He is touched with everything that disturbs you. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. The Amplified says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable, listen, to understand and sympathize and have a shared feeling with our weaknesses and infirmities and liabilities to the assaults of temptation. But one who has been tempted in every respect, the Bible says, yet without sinning. In other words, when you feel pain in your body, he feels it. When you feel frustration in your soul, he feels it. When you feel abandoned and disappointed, he feels it. He feels the very degree and the agony of love wants you out tomorrow immediately as long as you're able to understand that he loves you. But look at how much deception the devil gives you. Jesus is there and for you, you're here. And then some, he say, oh, help me. He's saying, no, 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 no. I actually feel what you are feeling and I've stempted in all these things, but I did not sin. I did not set myself against faith for that which is not done in faith is sin. I kept the faith. Believe me. You'll see it through. He says you cannot be tempted beyond that which you are able. It only came to you because you could handle it. It only attacked you because you had the ability to go through it. If God did not see you go through, he would not let you go through. That's how much he loves you. 
And that is how I'm persuaded. Hallelujah. Glory to God. He says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. The Bible says we are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors. We're not just conquerors. We are more than conquerors. There is nothing. Brethren, recall the sufferings of this present day. They cannot be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in your life. While you look not at the things which are seen, for the things which you see, those are temporal. Regardless of whether they have a permanent state with science, regardless of whether they have a permanent state with politics, regardless of whether they have a permanent state with your institution, he says they are temporal. For the things which are seen, they are eternal. Fix your eyes on things that are not seen. Because that's the realm of faith. It is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. For by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were not brought about by things which do appear. What do you see that is contrary to your appearance? What do you want? See health in the place of sickness. See victory in the place of frustration. See triumph in the place of destruction. And God says, I'll see you through. Because I love you that much. It ain't matter what you did last week. Oh, you know I deserve death. Apostle, I deserve death. I messed up. I did this and I did that. And I got a disease because of that. So, I have to die. Oh, do you know that people who have done worse and are not sick? Because it's not Otherwise, that rule would work on everyone who messed up. Hallelujah, glory to God. But God is saying that I love you. Once you learn to respond to that love, you start to even see sin living your life. Because love, Corinthians 13 verse 8, it never fails. But it says, but whether they be prophecies, they shall fail or cease. Even if they prophesied in your life that you shall be the most anointed man in the world, if you don't appropriate faith that worketh by love, it's useless. Even if you speak the deepest tongues, but you cannot appropriate faith that worketh by love, it's useless. He says, whether it be prophecies, they shall fail or cease. Whether it be tongues, whether it's wisdom or knowledge, even if you have revelation, it will vanish away, he says, if you do not know how to connect to the faith which worketh by love. Even revelation. Oh, yeah, I know that Jesus heals. Yes, the revelation. But have you understood that it worketh in love? All of that is useless until you understand the love of the Father. Because that's the love that never fails. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's the love that never fails. But it says whether prophecies, they'll fail. Whether tongues, they will cease. Whether knowledge, it shall vanish away. But he says, but that love never fails. Do you know how much God loves you? If you do, you'll prolong your life. You'll prolong your days. You'll fix your marriage. You'll fix your finances. That was the witchcraft from the church in Galatia. They were removed from where God had placed them. 
And they started to seek justification through works and not through faith. And Paul is taking them back to tell you, I'm going to do that miracle in your body. Not because you did the right things, but because you have had faith. Faith is now. It doesn't look at your past. It's now. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is. Now. He says now faith. Or now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Raise your voice and speak to God. I'm not moved. But what I see, hallelujah. I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel, yeah. I'm not moved by what I feel. Come on, speak another tongues. I am moved by the word of the Lord. I am moved by the word of the Lord. I am moved by his love for me. I am moved by his love for me. I will bless the Lord my God. I will bless the Lord my God I will bless the Lord my God I will bless the Lord my God Father we thank you for your word you love us you care for us you are with us. You are in us. You are for us. About us. Around us. And you will live, move, and have our own being. And we embrace the faith that worketh in love. And I know that we don't abuse that to sin because your grace abounds. But rather, it works in us even to the direction of delivering us from all sin. But if there's forgiveness with thee, you have loved us. And that's the forgiveness. And that's how we walk out of iniquity, because of love. That love has not failed to deliver us from sin. That love has not failed to deliver us from sickness. That love has not failed to deliver us from struggle and strife. That love has not failed to take us out of the deepest pits of darkness because that love does 
not fail. And that's how we fear you. That's why we fear you. That forgiveness causes us to fear you. That love causes us to fear you. Not the punishment, but the love. The love. You say there is forgiveness with you, that we fear you. So I thank you because that word has free course in our lives and we are going to live liberated in the realm and way of faith like never before. We are changed. I pray for them which are sick that you might be healed. Whatever you've been struggling with and dealing with, you are delivered right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I decree that peace is yours, that joy is yours, that victory is yours. Regardless of what has been happening in your life, God says that you are free by the hearing of faith tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you've never given your life to Christ, I want you to repeat these words after me. Just repeat these words after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I thank you because you shed your blood for me and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you as my personal Lord and Savior. Amen. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.